On this week's General Admission, we are very excited to bring you an interview with Screaming Females drummer Jarrett Dougherty. Before that, I recap this past weekend's microwave show at the Music Hall of Williamsburg, and we discussed some new albums including Fall Out Boy's So Much for Stardust, August Burns, Red, August Burns Red, Death Below, and Bouncing Souls, Ten Stories High. After the interview, we get into some news, like another Linkin Park single from the Meteor Days. Okay, let's go. Welcome to General Admission. Today is March 28th, episode 52. I'm going to start saying episode numbers because that seems fun. Um, we have a really awesome interview this week, this episode. Um, Jared Dougherty, he's the drummer for Screaming Females. Shout out New Jersey. Um, they're so good. Very, awesome. Very, very good music there. So, yeah, stay tuned for that interview. We also have some new albums. There was new Fallout Boy, new August Burns Red, and new Bouncing Souls. A uh, couple singles. Linkin Park released another one, which we could talk about later. Whoops, I think I missed that one. Yeah. Um, I would have gladly listened to it, but I didn't know it came out. Yeah, they, they snuck it out the other day. We'll talk about it later, so you could listen real quick when we take a break. Um it sounds a lot like another one off that album, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, it is from those sessions, though, right? The Meteora sessions? Yeah. Sessions? There we go. Yeah. Um, I wonder how many they have. You could tell this one. Now we're just talking about it. We'll we'll wait. We'll wait <laughs> till you can listen. Um, but yeah, lots of fun stuff this week. I went to a show. I went to see Microwave in Brooklyn, and it was awesome. And it reminded me how much I miss just being in a crowd in a small room, screaming to music. It's so nice. It's so cathartic. Was, was it just a microwave, like counting down to zero? There's like a beep at the end and everyone went nuts. Yeah. And the yeah. food was ready. We all left with radiation poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> and all our soup was lukewarm. The middle was hot. No, the the whole your videos are so cool though. I was watching them on a on the gram. Yeah, it's so hard not to like film the whole time, which I didn't. I got two thirty second clips, and I called it at that. But yeah, especially with the podcast, because like I want to share this stuff because it's I I love it, and I think our listeners love it. So it's fun to watch, but I'm not gonna film a whole show. Sorry, not sorry. They passed the live test, right? At least that's my assumption based on those clips. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. The energy was so there. The crowd was super into it, like moshing, jumping around. Very, very chaotic, but like, you know, controlled chaos. It was you sneak a peek at their set list if it's up. Yeah, it was. Um, They played they played a lot. They played like everything I'd want to hear, like lighterless um vomit is a good one their last like four were really strong they're still like i've only really been listening to them like you can literally like fact check it on this podcast because we have an episode called microwave is awesome and that was when i found them and said i would see them as soon as they come around and i think that was like six or seven months ago but the show was great um getting to brooklyn wasn't too bad i wound up driving to hoboken 
met up with Andy. We took the path in. This was like one subway transfer. The really wasn't bad. Like less than 20 minutes to get from Hoboken to Brooklyn. Got some tacos from all. a food truck. Yeah, not, not at all. I did get I did get stuck in a parking garage, which was <laughs> kind of in kinda, Hoboken. Yeah, as you say. Yeah, I, I parked and uh, I left the building, and the door closed behind me, and the door would not reopen. So that was like first like worrisome sign, and I'm down like on street level, but in a fence like a cage. I'm in a cage. <laughs> Shout out Smashing Pumpkins. Despite all I'm, your rage. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and the the gate won't open it looked like it was like screwed in so i'm like maybe this was an old entrance or exit whatever so there's stairs like outside stairs i go up them and it takes me to like one of those rooftop areas that like apartment complexes have with like some grills and like lawn chairs and stuff except it wasn't it wasn't the roof it was just like midway um couldn't get in the building because I didn't have a key card. So I had to go back down the stairs to the cage, but can't get back in the garage either. Can't get out the fence. <laughs> was it not a public garage? No, it, it definitely was a public garage. I used an app to have cheaper parking, which was pretty nice because usually it's annoying to pay in Hoboken. Yeah. Um, so finally a woman comes and she's like, are you trying to get out? I say yes, and she goes, oh, there, there's a button here. And there was a button next to the door, but not the exit door, next to the door of the garage that said exit. But this was a sketchy button. Like, the letters were faded. It looked like it was kind of popped off. Like, it didn't look like a button I should have hit, but it did Still say like it, The it staples, say that was easy button? Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't. It was not easy. It was the... <laughs> Just the opposite of that? 77 park garage this is the hard button and you will be trapped in this cage forever button so that's that's what i was a little worried about but i made it out it was okay and um yeah we got to the show the first band was called like moth um the dude kind of looked like billy from stranger things we we kind of watched them so they have tvs in the basement of the bar at music hall of williamsburg so we chilled down there like, That's a cool bar down there. Yeah, it's great. it's great. I love that they have the TVs there because then you don't you can still like enjoy it, but if it's a band you're not interested in, you can you can chill. And there's like um, tables still down there, right? Yeah, like picnic tables. Yep. Um, we went up for this band called Delta Sleep, who's from like England or something somewhere over there. Um, really good, like really good math rock. So so tight. Their drummer was like super ferocious like i thought he was gonna break the drum kit but like hunched over it just smashing away and really tight noodly like math rock yelling guitar like almost like tiny moving parts type music but um almost felt more noodly they're called delta sleep delta sleep yeah definitely check them out um the song they related to alpha awake uh yeah that's their their sister band <laughs> They have a song. Um, uh, I really want to shout it out because it was a great song, and I can't think of the name, so I'm just rambling. Here we go. Here we go. Dustbusters off their first album, real good. Check that one out if you're gonna just throw one on. Um, yeah, 
they were they were great and the crowd like knew all the songs it's my favorite thing when you're seeing like an opening band or like a band that's like coming up and they're you know halfway around the world whatever and the crowd is moshing singing like every word and the lead singer just gets this smirk on his face and he starts like kind of laughing almost because it's just i i think i don't know exactly what he's thinking but to me it seems like just that level of disbelief like holy shit like we started in england we're here in in brooklyn and these kids are like singing our songs and it's just such a cool a wild feeling i i can't even imagine but like it's amazing to see the realization hit these guys because i've seen it with other artists too and it's just it's so like wholesome i just love it they were they were great then we went back downstairs for Oso Oso because i i just can't get into them i tried so many times they have a couple good songs um they're definitely not like bad or anything like that but they just uh i don't know just not like my cup of tea so did we he sound better than starland or the same uh I can't really tell you because okay. we were we were down in the bar. That, um, I know like their top three songs. Like, if you want, we could just lay here. Da, da. I don't know. Um, that one's good. Whatever that one is, I think it has uh backslashes in the song title name. But yeah, uh, so we chilled down there. Went back up for microwave, and um, we get up there for microwave. Um and the crowds filling in it wasn't i mean it was sold out but it didn't feel like like claustrophobic or anything like that and there's these two dudes in front of us and they are yapping away like full-blown conversation as the band comes on one song two songs three songs they are just talking through every song right in our face like he he then played an acoustic song like a uh, straw hat that one of their new ones starts acoustic and they're like shouting over him. And now it's like four songs. And I just, I look at them. I'm like, shut up. Like nothing. Like I, I projected, but not as much as I should have. Cause like, I'm not like super confrontational, but like at, at what point do you try and say something? So then Andy, Andy leans in and he goes, Shut up! Shut the fuck up! Shut up! <laughs> and and they turn around and they're like, "Dude, what? Everyone's talking." And he's like, "You're literally the only ones talking." And then they look at me, like thinking that I'm gonna like back them up. And I'm like, "Just go to the fucking bar if you want to talk. Like, stop talking over the band." Seriously? Yeah. What are you there for if you're gonna that, talk the whole time? That's I honestly would have liked to have asked them that. Like, why? are you here if you're clearly not listening like i don't get it you can go downstairs to the bar you can chit chat you can listen like that's fine i'm not i'm not like trying to police how you enjoy a show but shut up <laughs> don't talk over the band it's crazy and it's one thing if it's like one song and it's kind of annoying but this was four songs straight just shouting over the yeah, band yeah it's really so. bad it's so, a club show too so it's not like you can hide that you're having a conversation yeah and like we couldn't really like move to get like away from them so i mean i guess we we could have but it was easier to just tell them to shut the fuck up 
I love and, Andy. Yeah, yeah. I I was so proud in that moment. I I like to think my half-hearted shut up encouraged him to really lay into them. Because you open the door, he kicked it down. <laughs> yeah, I've been watching enough Sopranos. I'm ready to just brawl with anyone now. <laughs> Violence is the answer. The Polly Walnuts. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, but so they like stayed another like two songs and they like kind of kept talking. Not not nearly to the level, but you could tell that like they wanted to keep talking and then they just left. Maybe they listened and went downstairs to the bar. But <laughs> what what a rush. <laughs> That's unbelievable. I've never heard of that at a show. Usually like no one talks during I get like talking during openers, but no one talks during the band. Everyone's there to see. Yeah, especially those like little shows. But sometimes I wonder with with if Brooklyn's like a a high like profile area where there's people who might just have nothing to do and like let's go check out this like thirty dollar show or whatever. Hipsters. You said it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean no, that is Williamsburg. So. Yeah, so I don't know. I I just yeah I don't know why you would just. Talk over the main act. Just go to a brewery to hang out. Yeah. If you're not interested in the band. Yeah. A lot of breweries in Brooklyn. So mm-hmm. like Brooklyn Brewery. Exactly. Boom. There's one. Um the band was great though. Um uh, they they played they played like everything I wanted to hear. Their their bass player screams too, which I didn't know, which I thought was cool. Uh, lead singer screams. I was listening to an interview with him. I've been doing this thing where I've been doing it for when we have to interview bands and I want to like research, I just type a band in or like their lead guy's name into Spotify and then just search it under podcasts. So I did that for microwave and I listened to an interview on a podcast called washed up emo, which is great, great podcast. That's a great podcast. He has a book out too. I think from like all the interviews he's done. Oh, wow. Yeah. It, it was it was great. He seemed like a cool dude and the interview was awesome. He came up like in the Mormon church and the first couple albums are like kind of about leaving that. But he was saying how he didn't want to, he wanted to leave himself some like plausible deniability because he put those albums out before he even told his parents that like he was leaving the church, like shit like that. I just thought it was interesting. Like, cause that's a, a pretty, uh, like when you're, in full-blown like mormonism i think it's like your whole life so to get out of that and then yeah see but they're from atlanta which that was where i got a little confused i guess there's mormons in georgia too there's like there's everything in georgia maybe he just moved there after he left (laughs) i don't know uh but yeah but like having that knowledge where like he like grew up almost like you know in in the church and like sheltered and now he's just like kicking ass in brooklyn like having a great time. Like the one clip I posted during the solo, there was like one part where he kind of flubbed just a little and not like to knock him, but he just like, as soon as that happened, you saw him just like grin ear to ear and just like laugh and just keep going. It's like, they're just having fun. And that's, that's just the best. That's what you want to see. The best. Yeah. But they're not just cashing a check. They're having a good time and yeah, giving the crowd a show. Yeah. Uh, I didn't buy any merch. I, I resisted because I am trying to not spend all my money. Um, but merch was cool. They did have one shirt that just had a picture of a microwave on it and nothing else. 
I was going to say, you already own a microwave, so you're already supporting the band. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> that was one of the questions in, in the Washed Up Emo interview. He's like, so how's SEO going for the band? <laughs> He's like, what? That's like, got to be a challenge. He's like, search your band name on, on Google, see what happens. Like, I put microwave just, band. It's just a bunch of microwaves. <laughs> uh yeah, the the one guitarist had on like this awesome like graffiti style Pearl Jam shirt, which I thought was cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I don't know. Andy was saying he might be new, the one guitarist. But that's just based off how their one album cover looks. So they could just look different. We weren't sure, but it was a great show. It felt so good to like do that again. It's been been a while since i've been to a small show like that and i definitely miss it so i got a new guitarist in 2016 oh way to go andy nailed it yeah so check that for you real quick gonna go back to brooklyn for screaming females iron chic andy's down goldie's down so hopefully you're down too brett and we can we can run it back if it's easy to do on a friday then Think I'm yeah. gonna have to do it. If you're able to to come here like at lunch or something, work out the rest of the day remote from here, then we just zip over the Ho- Hoboken, take that 20 minute subway ride. It it was way easier than than I thought. So, I mean, you have an extra step in your travels, but it it really wasn't bad. So, I think it's doable. Yeah, make it happen. Gotta check the, the, the Almighty Calendar. Yes, yes, Almighty Calendar. Um, do you want to get to albums? Let's do it. This was Sweet. an awesome week. I was not to spoil too much, but I was pretty happy with all three of these. Yeah, me too. Um, you want to start with August Burns Red? That's a good starting point. All right. Um, so for me, this band has always been a cool metal band that makes awesome Christmas songs. <laughs> They do um, make awesome Christmas songs. They do. I've never listened to an album by them in full before. Full, full disclosure. But this one, Death Below, 12 songs, 53 minutes. What did you think of it, Brett? Because you listen to them more than I do. Is that safe to say? I think that's fair. Although I've kind of fallen off them since, like, I think it was 2011's Leveler. Like, I don't know if it's just because, like, I'm less angry than I was then or, like... <laughs> Like, I was kind of texting you to spoil this a little bit, but I feel like you have to be, like, in the right environment to enjoy their music. Like, you have to be, like, exercising. Or if you have, like, a long drive home at night and are trying to stay awake, this is a good <laughs> thing to put on. Obviously, like, Christmas season, they have the Christmas album. Yeah. But, like, it's very heavy, and, like, all of them are amazing musicians. But they do kind of fall into, like, their songs sounding the same at points. I feel yeah. like then, like that's kind of why I've, I've drifted a little bit. Like I'd love to go back and kind of explore what I missed, because I mean I still did listen to like each album when they came out like at least once, but I can't tell you any song from like the last one, two, three, four, four albums they put out before this one. But I can I know every single song still on Messengers and Constellations. Like those albums are amazing and have some like the greatest breakdowns outside of like a day to remember oh, that wow. you hear. I gotta check that out. Did they listen to those two? Did they ever sing? I was that was gonna be one of my points where uh <laughs> I feel like they I know August Burns Red fans, if they listen to this, are probably gonna be angry that I say this, 
but I feel like they're a band that could have benefited from some clean vocals. And I, they've kind of teased a little bit, but it's not like clean enough, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it's just personal preference. So I'm sure there's yeah. bands that don't need it. But like for me, even if it was 70 30 screaming singing, I think yeah. it would work better because it it would just kind of keep you on your toes a little bit more and it would make the singing feel that much better and the screams feel that much better. And that's just how I like heavy music. Like I'm all for screams. Um, but I like even you take a band like like Opeth, who's like black metal or whatever it is, they like growl their vocals, but they'll still have slow, clean singing parts. So it's something to almost like look forward to or just balance it out. And I would have loved that from August Burns Red, but I don't think they're a band that does that. So like, that's fine. <laughs> kind of got a small sneak peek of what it would be like with the Jesse Leach song Ancestry on this one, like where he had clean vocals on like the chorus. Yeah. And like, it was a great song. So mm -hmm. I was like, I would kind of like more of this. And I think they've done a song with like Jeremy from A Day to Remember before where he may have had clean vocals, I think, unless he just screamed. I can't remember what the song sounded like off the top yeah. of my head, but... Yeah, they had a couple of features. They had Spencer Chamberlain from Under Oath on this one. Also clean vocals, right? Uh, I think he screamed, obviously, but like there was some like thing towards like uh, the maybe. middle heading towards the end of the song. It was like an eight minute song. So, yeah, from a like totally instrumental standpoint, like this album is so awesome. These guys are amazing musicians and I just love the bass tone on like all these songs it's so punchy it almost sounds like he's slapping it like i i don't think he's slapping it. i think he's just playing like slinky strings with a pick but it just has that really like reverberating bouncy noise and it it sounds so good and it's not something that like i would have really expected alongside like a metal band like i almost thought the bass would have been more just bassy and like driving but to have like that punchy bass was really cool um he's I such think... a big part of the band dustin davidson he's the bass player like he has like those like shrieking background screams like there's oh, some of, like sick. my favorite like backing screams not that like that's a big category but like his when it comes <laughs> up on when it comes like through your speakers you're like holy shit yeah yeah D dark divide had great great bass um um Sevink. The inner it was an interlude, but the bass came in and the tone's just so so good. Um the drums halfway through backfire. I wrote that one down. Mac Renier, he's one of my favorite drummers. Because especially if you listen to uh, like Messengers and Constellations, like it's just like he puts on a clinic on like every album with them. Uh, like great. I've watched YouTube videos of him just playing just to watch what he does because like it's so incredible. I definitely have to listen, especially as I promised last episode, I've been to the gym four times since then. What's good? Swoleville, population, me. <laughs> population, August Burns Red. Yes. Well, we have to listen to so much music that I'm like, why don't I just drive 10 minutes to the gym and just like do some shit there? So I've some... been doing some listening. Especially like this know. one was perfect because I'm like, I can't just yeah. sit in my living room with exactly. this and sitting still listening to this. Yeah. So. And I'll just like take notes in between sets. So like it it's it's working out pretty yeah. nice. But this is definitely definitely a good one for that. Yeah, I'll probably sit with this one for a little bit. I might even go back and listen to 
like some of the ones we put out more recently too and see if I'm missing anything. But like I like revival like revival, I think you mentioned, right? Um, uh yeah, yeah. Revival. Um, and Fool's Gold, I really liked thought that was different. Yeah. We had a few spoken word interludes this week across albums. We did. <laughs> Did one it, was well, we'll get to that soon, but yeah. one was a I'll, movie clip. I I was gonna save it for that one, but I'll just ask you now: Did any of these interludes make you really want to listen to another album by another band? I don't think so. That maybe we roadmapped before. Silverstein. Yeah, <laughs> just made me think of Great Fire, like <laughs> just the, these the spoken word interludes, oh, like that's the intro right. to that yeah. album. Yeah. I was like so, so tied into like I was like, whoa, this is right out of reality, but it's just pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. There we'll get to that soon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so what's what's the August Burns red one that I should listen to? Constellations? Constell uh messengers first, then constellations. Okay. All right, cool. Like Constellations has um, like Whitewashed, which is like one of their best songs. And Messengers, like that entire album's amazing. Nice. Yeah. Backburner, I- composure. I think I have listened the to these before. I said I never listened to an album in full, but looking at the album covers, I I think I have. I just don't necessarily know the songs, but yeah. It's not like I've been ignoring August Burns Red my whole life. I mean, Christmas time. It's a wonderful time. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've seen them a few times on a warp tour back in the day. Oh, that's great. And saw them co I think when I was like really into them. They co-headlined uh, Starland with Bring Me the Horizon, which is a wild show. That does sound wild. Wage War is going to be at Starland pretty soon. They're headlining, right? Yeah. That's like all there is there. I was I was talking to Lauren. She said um, they're like between events managers, like they hired a new one or something. So there was like kind of a lull. But I was looking at their events calendar for the summer. There's like, there's nothing. No. No, I mean, I know weird. they usually have like a great fall lineup, yeah, versus like summer shows, but hopefully, they, they like they're putting other energy into that right now, yeah. Um, all right, let's get to Bouncing Souls, New Jersey guys, 10 stories high. I think this is like their 12th album, maybe. I think it's, <laughs> it, I think you're right. Although, <laughs> do you want me to do the math here? I, I did the not the biggest math guy, but I did the Wikipedia count. So that's like studio albums. There's okay, probably we'll probably way more. Because if you just list the albums on Spotify, you get so many between deluxe editions and re-recordings, and it's impossible to like go through a band you don't know inside and out and determine what's an album and what's not. I think so, twelve is a is a safe bet. Yeah, it's all ten stories high, but twelve albums deep. And this was that should be the episode title. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. 25 minutes, which was nice. And it's just like we've talked about Bouncing Souls before. Like, listen to a few albums. They're a band with a huge discography that I feel like I was born just like five years too late to yeah. like really be a diehard for. But all their music is just fast, fun and upbeat and this album just feels like a continuation of that so i would be surprised if like diehards didn't like this that's what i was thinking too because like i had this on like i had to drive down the barnegie yesterday so i listened to this like on the way there and on the way home yeah and like i would just had like a smile on because like this is like a perfect like summer album and like you said it's just it's so much fun 
the songs are catchy uh so i was like i'm not a guitar guy but like i feel like it's safe to say they kind of write songs like blink where they're easy to play on guitar is that accurate you'd say like by listening to this one yeah i think so i think if anything just like the pace they play them would probably be harder than like yeah the notes and like the bass seemed like kind of complicated a little bit at times also which was nice He's real. I'd love to have him on the podcast. He owns like a tattoo parlor in Bradley and actually yes. gave Sandra her tattoo. No way. But she had no idea until she went in there. And she's like, she's like, do you know, Brian, the bouncing souls is like, yeah, why? She's <laughs> like, oh, he just gave me a tattoo. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's crazy. I was just talking about him because um, uh, Lauren, who I just mentioned, was saying she wants a bouncing souls tattoo, but she kind of wants him to do it. But it's like a year wait list or something like that. And then Sandra like nonchalantly signed up with him, not knowing so, he was in the bouncing so funny. <laughs> She accidentally. <laughs> that's, like, how do you not know great. that? <laughs> that's amazing. I yeah, I really I really enjoyed this this album. I feel like I just I just want to do this little imitation that I feel like is all their songs. A lot of woes and o's. Oh, oh. Oh, do, 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 do. <laughs> it's, just, it's just like that and like and i i love it <laughs> it's, it's a bouncing soul staple yeah. also the song the one song is called kenver he's saying denver right <laughs> am i crazy here i had that in my notes i was like <laughs> is he saying denver or kenver <laughs> it really sounds like he's saying denver but the song's called kenver it just i don't know <laughs> Those first two songs are really good. The Ten Stories High and Back to Better. Yeah. I hit repeat a couple times on those. And True Believer Radio, obviously a callback to one of their yeah. biggest songs. And I also wrote like this could be like their serious FM station if they ever got one. It would be called True Believer Radio. Oh, uh, that's a great idea. They have enough music to probably do a station. And they they tour like all the time. So if there's live recordings, they could do that. I want them to do their, I think it's called, uh, it's Stoked for Summer. With their, yeah, yeah. their annual like summer stage show. Like I kind of want to yeah. go this year if they do one. Yeah. Especially because we have like no summer stage shows. Yeah. And then like hopefully their support is a band we might know a little better. But even if not, like it'll give us um reason to just like binge bouncing souls all summer, which yeah seems like the perfect time to do that. It really does. I mean, they normally have great support. I think like last year was like hot water music. They've had like the Menzingers before. Yeah. I know you've been you've been uh, hoping for Anti Flag this year, which is definitely yeah. a possibility. They're touring, they're touring with them in like around like April May. So oh. just announced the Asbury show with Anti Flag. I mean, not two birds at one stone there. Yeah, that that would be nice. I wonder when is that? Just like usually July. So I think it's, yeah, like right in the middle of July yeah. usually. I'm surprised it's not announced yet. I guess it's still kind of early. Yeah, but... they don't have any Jersey shows on this on their tour dates, so I'm assuming it has to be there. Yeah, I think they've done Stoked for Summer like every year, almost for, every year, for like ever. And they just rattle through like 35 songs in their sets. It's so cool. Oh, it's amazing. It seems like a great time. That's another one where I was I was talking about my desire for matinee shows, but like. If I were to see them at the Stone Pony at a show called Stoke for Summer, I almost feel like I'd rather it be like in the middle of the day. The sun's out. Like, I don't know. 
big why, vintage. Why are there Tour. no middle of the day shows? I don't well, get Warped it. Warped Tour used to be like that until yeah. like their yeah, yeah. headliners would go on like 7.30 at night after you were like dead for yes. the entire day. <laughs> no, they used to like hand out Red Bull like it was nothing at those things. Or Rockstar maybe. I think. Oh, Rockstar. yeah. And then yeah. people just throw them during sets. <laughs> that backfired uh, in a way. Yeah. Just got thousands of teenagers hopped up on caffeine and <laughs> what could go wrong <laughs> speaking of warp tour though our last new album of the week fallout boy i is, want you to go first i want to hear what you think is back <laughs> that so question much, mark or a period so much for stardust or so much stardust which i think we could even look into that if we wanted to because it's kind of like if it's so much stardust, that sounds cheerful and happy. But if it's so much for stardust, then it sounds kind of like bitter and gloomy, which the album kind of does. Cause like lyrically, it gets a little dark at times. Oh yeah. All the songs are I I really enjoyed this album and I listened to it a bunch between Friday and right now. So I did too. Morning. It's it's Every song has its own like vibe to it, which is great. It's very 70s and 80s at times. Um, it's arena rock at times. Like whatever they're doing with those string sections are so awesome. They have one song that sounds like like a WWE like intro or something like that. Oh yeah. It's so crazy. And they, they have like it, a disco like one. It almost it's um yes. Yeah, let me try let me restart that. It almost <laughs> sounds like a the uh, earth, wind, and fire uh Dude, you I remember? Yes, I wrote that exact <laughs> thing down. I That's was a what a time to be you. alive. Yes, and the way it like <laughs> builds to the chorus or like out of the chorus has like the like. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Yes, dude, it reminded me of that so much. I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> I didn't I didn't see that anywhere online when I was trying to see what the what the how the fans were feeling. I didn't. I didn't catch that till like my third listen though. <laughs> like, wait, if you just drop that line and it goes in like perfectly <laughs> it really does so they got back with uh neil Avron. i don't know if that's how you say it that seems that pretty good yeah but he because he worked on uh infinity on high and from under the cork tree bunch okay. of yellow card albums newfound glory self-titled sticks and stones say anything self-titled minutes to midnight make believe by weezer so like he's got his finger on the pulse with this stuff and there was a lot of uh infinity on high influence here i felt like so i i did go back a little but i didn't go back to infinity on high i went to um fully because that was the one that everyone said was like the last like fallout boy album then and then like they what they took a hiatus after that right yeah and then their save rock and roll i remember being decent it was yeah. poppier than usual but it was still a decent album yep i put i put that one on too um that one had like a lot of features and they started like they had like big sean on a track and stuff so you could tell they were kind of starting to to go in the more, pop pool or pop which is 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 allowed they're allowed to do that yeah <laughs> um, they went too they went too much into the deep end on my last album though and i'll always stand by that yeah i didn't even recognize songs off of that album i used to like they'd be on the radio like oh who is this because like it's fallout boy could not have guessed that um but this this album i think if you're gonna be 
a band like fallout boy and you want to make an album that's going to get radio play and be popular and like tickle that pop music itch i think they found a really good sweet spot with this one and there's it, still like i still love the single love from the other side like that's still like it's like a vintage fallout boy song like there's guitars back it's catchy yep uh even like what's the other one i wrote down that's um well primo hold, hold me just like guitar it. was back as a whole i just feel like i'm an out with on this album which was like a breath of fresh air yeah i i will say i would have liked like a solo or two i kept waiting for it There's, but it never there came. was a few moments um like like muse the one something muse um unless it's just muse i don't know but that like i am my own muse sort of had a solo Heaven, Iowa was the same deal where like the guitar would like kind of do a run up the neck, mimicking vocals a little bit, but it just never like broke out. And I don't think it would have felt out of place. I don't think it would have alienated listeners if they're trying to go mainstream. Like this feels like a fun borderline arena album at times. And I think a solo like fits that vibe perfectly. And I really wish they would have just like put like two or three in there. Yeah, that's the only thing I felt was missing with this one. Yeah. But I feel like they did you for fake out, did that kind of remind you of like Untitled Blink, like slash the cure a little bit, like that dark guitar tone? Yeah, I can see that. And it had like peak Fallout Boy lyrics in there. Yeah. Like, do you laugh? Do you laugh about me whenever I leave, or do I just need more therapy? <laughs> like that's yeah, for real. And like the falsettos in the choruses are great. That that was a good one. There was one, um, Heaven, Iowa. Did that gave me um, in the air Phil Collins vibes? Did feel at like the that. beginning. It didn't like like break out the same way that song breaks out, but it had that that kind of cool like uh, dreamy type intro. And I feel like vocally it had that like the strongest chorus probably at least like the way he like delivered it. Like you could tell he's like Patrick Stump was putting his all into yeah. that one. Even in the guitar, like it was perfectly like, complimenting yeah. him during the chorus. I almost stopped you. I was gonna say I think Scar Cross Lovers had the strongest one, but that's what he's that's having I That's the song, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm in agreement. <laughs> and the way after listening a few times, I started picking up on more things like Scar Cross Lovers, every chorus he sings it, it's just a little stronger yep uh, i exactly just thought that was, was like a really cool thing because the first time the first chorus that hits left me wanting more i'm like man i really wish he like punched into this harder but then by the end he is which is just it's great i always i always reference weezer when i think of stuff like that when songs like tease the the good parts they make you want it and then by the end they give it to you it's great um and had pink seashell, which is a clip from Reality Bites, a dark clip from Reality Bites. Yeah, I was gonna ask you. I didn't know if that was from a movie or if they just got Ethan Hawke to like ramble for. That would be cool, but <laughs> it is from Reality Bites. That's Great cool. '90s movie. Um, the title track "So Much for Stardust" had such a cool vibe with like that, like really uh, deep piano. Almost like a hip hop vibe, a little bit, right? Dude, it reminded me too? of something off of Eight Mile. Yeah, <laughs> or maybe just Eight Mile. Um, 
Yeah, th- yeah, I think it is. Like a, to lose yourself, or, kind or, of almost. No, no, like is it Run Rabbit Run or there was something on that that had that like low um, piano keys. Oh, I think it's. Eight I think mile. it is Eight Mile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It made me think of that. It might just be like the same kind of like uh, tone or key or whatever. But and they also like reference back to the first track lyrically that in cool. that, which like what would you trade the paid for and uh, something about a dagger. I don't remember. But I almost feel like a movie score too. Do you like get those vibes with it? Yeah, because they worked strings in at the end of the first track and uh they brought um, them back for this one. Yeah, that one. And then there was one in the middle. I forget. Um but yeah, that strings were spread out nicely throughout it. Um Hold Me Like a Grudge gave me like huge Michael Jackson vibes at the beginning. I wrote that too. Yeah. I'm glad you caught that. <laughs> the way like he was like finishing so, words with like, yep. <laughs> like that kind of stuff. And like that like muted guitar, like like remind me of uh um whatever. Whatever I'm thinking yeah, of. Those early verses, especially with the Michael Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. By the end it kind of it kind of disappears, the Michael Jackson this, but it's heavy in the front. And the bass kind of has um another one bites the dust vibes to it a little bit too. Uh, you could just hear their influences spread out and i don't know if this is true i it seems like it probably very much so is but nicole was saying she remembered reading at some point that like um patrick stump right yeah uh is like a huge michael jackson fan and like he was like a big influence on him so they have cover beat it which was yeah an awesome cover john yeah. mayer playing the solo uh it's sick that's the the guitar thing i just did 30 seconds ago that i couldn't think of name. um <laughs> yeah it gave me that kind of same vibes as beat it i didn't know they covered it which is cool it definitely uh, you never heard that cover out. before i don't think so but now now i want to um so good right now it's just like a fun 80s song like some of these songs i, I feel like could have like been in the breakfast club or something <laughs> like it just had that kind of like like walk across desks pumping your fist vibe yeah i was i was really surprised with this i think they did a they did a great job i think majority of these songs could could be a single so like that's something i know they're going for i would love to see them live after listening to this album i I was i was gonna mention that at the end it's just they are playing the art center but oh true we could get like long with bring me the horizon huh It'd probably right. be a really good show. Let's, let's uh check out the date and check out what the lawn is like. Could be fun. Just slowly fill summer shows up. Yeah, we don't we'll get there. We don't need Starland and the Pony. We can do it without them. We can just go to Brooklyn and present and uh, PNC. Yeah, great slew of albums this week. I really liked how they were all different too which was nice it's not like we had to listen to like five punk albums like we really got a nice blend um a little bit of everything it was great i think august burns red was probably like the hardest listen but like i said you have to be in the right environment for it yeah i was also glad i i stuck with it though because once once it did kind of click it if it felt good like fallout boy it didn't need to click like that's an album you 
you put on and you're pretty much singing along to these songs oh yeah the first listen i just thought like the dichotomy between two albums like that was was really interesting because there i like them both and one you could put on and right away it's good the other takes some time which is good i like when music challenges you and yeah they're, that they're one is for sure challenging very different bands so they don't really need to be compared but uh just was interesting listening to them you know quick uh quick final fallout boy thoughts so i can't tell if my bar was just so low that i love this one or if it's really a good album uh, i think it's really a good album but i don't know if i don't want to seem like i'm overreacting on day three I, of its release i think it's a little bit of both because you're not the first person i've i've heard say that where they cleared the very low bar that they set for themselves but if you told me a few years ago that we'd be listening to a new Fall Out Boy record right now and enjoying it, I probably wouldn't have believed you. So like, yeah, that's fair. That's good enough for me. That does kind of work towards your low bar theory, but I think the songs are really well done. Like I said before, like each song kind of has its own vibe, which is nice. It doesn't feel like a cheap attempt at making pop songs. Like, it, no, it feels like a good cohesive album. So I think regardless of where the bar was, they they did a good job. All right. I think it's time we should send it over to our interview with uh, Jarrett Dougherty, drummer, drummer for Screaming Females. He was great. Uh, we got into a lot of cool stuff. Uh, we did have to wrap a little early. He was kind of on a time crunch, but we'd love to have him back on. Uh, we talked about... A lot of cool stuff from like Marissa's guitar playing to how the band came up and the whole DIY aspect of it. Him so, booking their shows. Yeah. Yeah. We we even got a little fish talk in there, believe it or not. So as yeah. always on this pod. So yep, that's right. Whenever we can. Okay. Um, so yeah, Jared Dowerty. Let's talk to him. Okay, we now come on a very special guest. He is Jarrett Doherty, drummer for one of the most badass punk bands to come out of New Jersey, Screaming Females. They dressed up the horses and set them loose, and they just put out a new album, Desire Pathway. Go check it out. It's awesome. It's been on repeat for both of us. Jarrett, thank you so much for coming on and finding time amongst the touring. I know you guys have been very busy. You just got yeah, back from Alaska. Me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So you just got back from Alaska and tour starts in like a week. That's right. Oh, um, so yeah, we, I've been trying to prep everything, getting ready for the tour, doing all the advancing and stuff. So trying to get all the details and it's like, you got shows later in the tour. And of course I can get stuff done on tour, but I'm always like as much of the information I can, as I can have ahead of time it makes everything easier. So I'm just like, I know it's a month till the show, but I'm leaving in a few days. <laughs> if you could if you could let me know when we need to be there, that would be great. <laughs> yeah. Are you are you in New Jersey now? Uh I'm or in Philly. Philly? Okay. Yeah. So you you come back around to Philly like what, halfway through the tour? Uh yeah, well later? it's we do a full routing through the US and then we're home for like a week and then we play um, Philly, Boston, and New York, and then we're home for like, um, well, we got a couple shows we're just about to announce going up to um, Pusa Fest in Montreal in May. But basically, we got a couple things here and there in May, but we're home for most of that, and then we go to Europe for a couple weeks in June. That's cool. 
Well, you're definitely like used to touring by now. So you probably do have it down to a science getting ready. <laughs> uh my my go-to is to wait until the morning i have to leave to pack and Absolutely. uh whatever i forget i can just get somewhere else <laughs> how did alaska point. come about i feel like i don't really hear of too many bands like going up there yeah for sure i mean it's been a long time coming we've been real something we've wanted to do for a long time uh we've before uh doing alaska last week we had done 49 states puerto rico and DC. So it was something we had been dreaming about getting to for years. And um, I had talked to various people over the years um, that had been nice enough to reach out when I had kind of put it out into the ether, you know, via social media or asking people who I know had been to Alaska. And the people who had gotten back, um, it had always seemed like a possibility, but maybe not exactly what we were looking for or like, oh, they weren't sure if the time frame would work and that kind of stuff. Um, so we knew that we had the new album coming out and we were like, this is the moment to try to make it happen. Once again, put it out there and uh, this person Jaybird ended up getting in touch with us and they uh, played in this band Termination Dust from Alaska that toured the lower 48 and they they did a tour opening for Modest Mouse and stuff. So Jaybird knew a little bit more about the lay of the land of touring and that helped out. But um, we had one conversation with them on Zoom and it was like, just seemed perfect. They were like, my big inspiration for bringing a band to Alaska would be to make sure that you don't just play Fairbanks and Anchorage, go out and play some of the smaller towns that I know are good for shows, but uh, a lot of bands never get to. And they're like, and I want to make sure that there's all ages shows um, in Fairbanks and, and Anchorage if we can make it happen because uh, there's so few all ages opportunities for kids these days in Alaska. Um, so that's what we did. And we were like, oh, yeah, this is exactly what we wanted. And they're like, hey, I'm not I'm not trying to make any guarantees, but I know we've I've toured through Alaska to, enough to know that people will be excited and not going to lose money on this trip and i was like boom there we go doing some interesting stuff not losing money let's make this happen let's lock it in <laughs> oh that's awesome was it was it the first time playing like the new songs um we'd played a few of them i mean some of them we'd even played like pre-pandemic but they were probably slightly different versions um of the songs uh and then when we did the tour with Touche Amore and the Menzingers last fall, there was, um, I think, Brass Bell and Morning Dove, we had played a few times on that tour, testing them out. But the vast majority of the songs we have not played until um, we had our big annual party in New Jersey, Garden Party, um, a month ago when we released the record. So we did all of the songs between those two, uh, between the two nights there. So that was kind of the first time we played a lot of them live. Oh, that's great. It feels like like you guys are so you you've been around for a little bit, but I'm like just been kicking myself for not hearing about you sooner because we're right here in Jersey. But I'm like all these amazing opportunities to to see you, and it took this long. But I mean, I'm glad you're on our radar now, and I definitely want to get to that Brooklyn show, even if I have to go all the way to Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's out there too. I, I mean, everything's gotten deeper and deeper into Brooklyn over the years. So, 
I know coming from Jersey, it's like, you know, I, I tell people this who aren't from the area when they, when they end up here, I'm like, oh, if you're playing in Philly and you got to play Brooklyn the next day, like whatever it says on Google maps or whatever, you got to add at least an hour and a half oh, yeah. or two hours just to be sure, because it's only going to say it's like two and a half hours, but that is like, that is yeah. for sure a lie. <laughs> No matter which way you go too, like whether it's like the tunnel or GWB, there's just always <laughs> traffic and every time of day. For sure. Yeah. It's just literally so close, but so far. Like I know. <laughs> exactly. Anywhere else in most in the world, if you looked at like uh, you know, your your Google Maps and it said 12 miles away, you'd be like, <laughs> Oh, that's close. Except if you're going from New Jersey to New York, then it's not yep. close. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, you mentioned like the all ages shows that you wanted to make a point to do in Alaska. And I feel like that's kind of always been a point of your band. Cause in like my research and everything, I know you guys came up in New Brunswick and like the basement scene. And a big thing that I always saw was how like at Rutgers, there wasn't like really an outlet for bands. So you kind of had to take it into your own hands. What, what was it like coming up in that New Brunswick uh, basement scene? I mean, for sure, exactly what you just said. Um, the most of the people who are going to shows are not twenty-one. Um, so at the time, there was one bar, and now it doesn't even exist anymore that would have shows. So it's just tough. Uh, the university is really not supportive of arts, even though there's a good art school there. You know, there's just like if you're doing stuff off campus. They don't, they don't care. And we've been to a number of other schools, much smaller schools where they'll have like some on-campus venue that they let like a group of kids book and they'll be bands through every week. But instead Rutgers would invest in one show a year where they'd get, you know, third eye blind and 50 cent to play or something. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, it's just, if you want to make something happen in New Brunswick, you got to do it yourself. You got to do it with your friends. Um, and the all ages shows were always a big part of that. Um because otherwise it's like the only thing that seems obvious is like frat parties and stuff. And those are obviously not welcoming to everybody and can be dangerous uh, for some people. Um, so uh, basement shows, while not being like a perfect utopia, always seemed like they gave a better option um, for freaks to do something. <laughs> and uh, I mean, we've continued to try to make a point of making our shows accessible Um but sometimes doing the bar show is the best option, you know, or, or else we just want to switch it up. Like this time we're going, we go to Seattle, we're playing uh, a place that's 21 and up. But the last, I don't know, five times we've been to Seattle, we played uh, Vera Project, which is an all ages space. So it's just like, you don't want to just burn out and see the same exact room every time you go to a city for however many years. <laughs> so we'll switch it up occasionally for that. But for the most part, if there's an all ages option, that's the one we're going to choose. Now, piggybacking off that, like, I know you guys have been on, like, Don Giovanni Records for, like, over a decade now. Like, what is it about that label that's, like, kept you guys hanging around? And, like, what was it like to initially sign with them, too? Um, yeah. Um, what is it like? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we hear, like, Don so G many horror stories of labels. And, like, this one seems like a good relationship, but I know you're about to tell us yeah. if it is or not. <laughs> no, no, for, for sure it is. It's... uh. Joe, who runs the label, um, is a really good friend of ours. It's somebody I hang out with outside of doing band stuff and have for years. So does Marissa. 
Um, Joe played in bands from New Brunswick. He actually didn't even go to Rutgers, which is like really rare. He went to college in Boston and then him and his friend that he met in Boston, Zach, who they started the label together, actually moved to New Brunswick after they graduated just to be part of like New Jersey punk rock and released records. Uh, they released a lot of hardcore seven inches at first and then the kind of like a big change for them and the kind of a breaking point was releasing um, Dork Rock Cork Rod by the Ergs, which was, I think, their first full-length release and was super successful. At the time, they just released the vinyl, which was like, I know it seems so wild to say this now, but it was almost ignored compared to the CD release. So it took a long time for them to sell, you know, the 500 copies or whatever that record, but it's been through many pressings now since then. So then we were just abandoned that scene and... Um, Joe was somebody we knew from shows. He played in the band for science. Um, and at some point he just started showing up to our shows a lot, including one tour where he like, he, I forget where we were. We were either in like, we we're in like Richmond or something. And Joe's at the show. And I'm like, Joe, what are you doing in Richmond? He's like, I came to see you. And I was like, whoa. And then like the next day we're in Baltimore. I'm like, Joe, what are you doing in Baltimore? He's like, I'm coming to see you. <laughs> and at, at like the last night of that tour of that run of shows, uh, we ended up staying in the same spot and he was like, listen, I just want to do a record for Screaming Females and let me lay out exactly what I think I could do for you guys. And because uh, before that, we'd always self-release stuff and uh, he made a good, good argument. So we went with it. <laughs> and since then, we've always just kind of grown together. And, um, you know, I see bands that'll have like one record uh, or, you know, pretty successful record on a small independent label that seems to have really interesting stuff going on. And then they'll jump ship to go to Sub Pop or Matador or something. And uh, to me, it's like, would you rather be the coolest band and the band that this small label is most interested in or be the kind of like auxiliary band that's not selling you know 300,000 copies of your record on like a much bigger label and I guess some bands you know their hope is that they're going to be the band that sells the 300,000 copies but I've seen that swallow up a lot of people over the years um, and most often you go to those settings and you realize that uh, while they might be excited about doing your record they're not going to put any more um resources behind it than you would have gotten at a smaller label and the thing you're definitely not going to get is you're not going to get the um the the focus that you would have gotten at the smaller label and you i'm assuming you're not going to have a great community necessarily with those bands that you've never met before and have been around doing completely different things um that are on those bigger labels so uh for us it's always been about how can we make it work and uh how can we be sort of uh competitive you know the trojan horse style of <laughs> getting in and trying to find our way into the same stuff that these bigger labels might have access to while doing it ourselves that's awesome it, it it's so cool too because it it does like allow you to keep being you like you see it so many times like you said like bands go to a big label and a lot of times those labels try to change them to just imitate whoever they think might be the most successful so it's cool that you guys have a spot that you feel comfortable at and you can like grow on your own. Yeah. And it's, and it's even like, 
I'd suggest that some of those labels, some of the times that you see a band change when they go to a label like that, it's not even the pressure of the label necessarily as much as the pressure of the band on themselves. They're like, we got to, we got to try something different. We got to do something different. This is our big chance, you know? And I, I feel like everybody should always evolve as artists in the way that feels comfortable to you. And if you want to take some risks, then take those risks. But I think there's a lot of pressure to artists to like, this is my chance, you know, this is how I'm really going to like make it or something. So let's get in a producer who's going to show me how to write a song and sing for real. I'm <laughs> <laughs> like that same vein, but like in the opposite direction, like as a DIY band, like yourselves, like, do you ever feel the pressure of getting too popular? Like, like you love playing, like say smaller venues and all age, all ages and stuff. And as you get bigger, those opportunities might change because of your popularity. Like, is that something you think about or it's just, it is what it is. I'd say more than anything, it's um, it's how you can like delegate the tasks that are involved with growing as a band. So um, for years, I booked all the shows. At some point, it was becoming untenable for me to book the shows as well as do all the other stuff that I do for the band as far as, you know, essentially just answering the emails and making the phone calls, which takes up a lot of time. Um so we got a booking agent, you know, but then when we ended up in a situation with a booking agent that we weren't comfortable with how they were handling us because they were kind of like, uh, they, they weren't treating some of those relationships with smaller promoters and DIY spots that we really did like to go back to the way that we had hoped they would. Uh, we were like, Hey, we can take this on ourselves. We've done it before. So when we released our last album all at once, um, that was the biggest undertaking we had ever had. And for the, the tours for that album, uh, the initial tours, uh, I booked all the shows myself. Uh, so it's like, uh, it's not pressure as much as like figuring out what tasks we can still take care of. And if we do have to bring someone on, like hopefully it's somebody we can really trust and understand where we're coming from and has our best interests in mind. And that's why when we do find people we like working with, we work with them for a long time because it's, you know, it's kind of a risk when you put a piece of something, a piece of your band, something you care about so much into someone else's hands. And you don't know what their conversations are like when you're not around, you know, despite what they might say to you. So um, it's like right around this time, Leading up to a new album and the tours right after the new album come out is some of the most, the longest working days that I have doing my part of what I do in this band. And sometimes I'm just like I'm pulling my hair out, like I can't send another email. And then I'm like, but I have to. <laughs> uh, it's like I've been at this for nine hours today and I still, it's unending. But then I remember this only happens once every four or five years and it's for maybe six months at most. And then it chills out a bunch. So the, the control that we retain and also the money we retain by not having a manager taking care of that stuff uh, is I'd say uh, a positive trade-off. Although for six months, every few years, I feel like maybe it would be nice to have somebody answering those emails. <laughs> that drummer energy to get you through. <laughs> hopefully i don't know what gets me through other than i know it's going to be really fun when we get out there and when people hear the, the music yeah it looks like a like i mean i'm just like a basement musician but playing on stage like that and like writing your own music it's got to be the most fun thing ever every video i've seen of you guys you're smiling like ear to ear on the drum set and it's awesome <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's fun, but it's also something like more than fun to me, which is that it's like really fulfilling because sometimes when you are sitting in a van and you you know, you play a late show, uh you have to drive out of town, you end up staying on some shitty motel like with it only has like a subway attached to it or something and you eat the worst food and get up and go and four hours of sleep that's not like the most fun thing you've ever done in your life but uh <laughs> at the end of it like being able to connect with people and bring your music to people is like incredibly fulfilling which is something that can drive you through even the parts that aren't necessarily fun all the time yeah it's a trade-off um yeah. I, we talked about desire pathway a little before um gotta bring it up because the album is is so great um you guys had it felt like what three or four years to work on it about since the last one were you writing it the whole time did uh the pandemic delay it at all or was this always the plan the yeah we it's been five years since all at once which was our last full length we put out a few things in between there um but a lot of that was like older material like releasing it on vinyl for the first time or something like that um and we had written probably about half of the songs that actually ended up on the record, maybe, maybe a few more, maybe six or seven uh, before the pandemic. And in early 2020, we had started having plans to record in the fall or winter of 2020. So when the pandemic hit, that obviously canceled those plans. And uh, we just kept writing. I mean, there was a long time where we didn't really see each other, um, the longest we've ever gone without practicing or writing. Um, but we had some kind of socially distanced writing sessions. I didn't have a drum set in my house, so I was using some drum machines that I have around, sending ideas that way. And some of those ideas ended up getting onto the record. Um, obviously, it wasn't the drum machine versions. It was versions that we ended up playing. Uh, live and working out once we were able to get to get back together but um but yeah the album definitely got delayed i mean we just certainly didn't intend to take five years but then once um once it did get delayed we decided not to really rush it we we felt like we wanted to wait we wanted to make sure we had the vinyl for the day it came out vinyl delays have been uh literally like we we the way the reason that determined when we were putting out this record was because they were like 14 months is how long it's going to take to guarantee that we'll have the vinyl for the day it comes out might come earlier but that's that's the amount of time to guarantee it so we got the record done in december of 2021 uh mixed and mastered and everything and then we're like okay february 2023 that's when it's coming out wow that's got to be rough waiting on it that long, like having it in the bank ready to go. Yeah, but it also enabled us to like set up this this year and these tours and everything the way we really wanted to, um, which you can get a tour together in a couple months if you really need to. But to play all the exact towns on the days that you want to be there, um, you know, organize with other bands that you're really excited about playing with, uh, all that stuff takes a lot of planning to make sure it happens there's a smoke alarm going off in my house i don't know if you can hear that are you in danger no okay <laughs> big question it just means it just means my partner christina forgot to turn the uh the vent on while she started cooking oh classic uh, <laughs> so 
So uh, one of my favorites off the new album is Ornament. And like that song, for some reason, just fills me with like a bunch of nostalgia, like 90s pop rock, which I'm like a sucker for. I'm just curious, like, was that like part of the inspiration going into that one? Um, I, I don't know if it's directly the inspiration, but Mike actually wrote the majority of that song, uh, which uh, we write songs in a bunch of different ways. But usually it's the three of us just kind of getting together and sort of just hashing stuff out. And so we start to come up with ideas. But occasionally Mike and Marissa will come in with a more formed um, song. Uh, Mike, it, it's more rare that Mike would come in with a like basically a full song and be like, here's the song. Uh, but ornament is one of those. And Mike is a sucker for that sound that you just <laughs> described as well. I mean, he loves power pop. He loves nineties kind of pop rock. Um, yep. he, he loves, he loves, he also loves the kind of like ramped up version of that stuff. Um, stuff like i don't know like the marked men or something where it has elements of like really poppy melodies but they just kind of like play it faster and more you know, more haphazardly or something so to me it really has like uh mike's dna on it um so i think you're right in your evaluation but i don't know if he sat down to do that or if it's just more of what happens when mike sits down and starts playing guitar that's awesome that's probably gonna be like one of my most played songs of the year at, nice like, come december <laughs> Well, you should check out uh, Mike's uh, solo project, the King Mike Entertainment System, uh, which has more uh, of his compositions. They're a little less refined than that one, but they're kind of in the same vein. I'll definitely check that out. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, it's one of my favorite parts about the album is how it can go from like a super heavy song like Brass Bell to like something like Ornament. And it's just, it's got a really good flow to it and like, you know, I'm sure you guys put thought into the order of the songs and everything. Did you put, um, like, did you go into writing this with, we want to have a few heavy songs, we want to have, you know, a certain amount of solos, like, because I'm sure you could write a whole, like Brett said, like 90s power pop album if you wanted to. So finding that balance, I, I feel like would be difficult. Yeah, I think that, the way we write is we try not to think too much about that stuff while we're writing. Um, but then when it, when we get into the studio, we try to bring in more songs than we're going to end up with on the record um, so that we have some options. And then that really comes down to like sequencing when you're like, okay, uh, something like uh, the song so low, which is just Marissa playing um, by herself for the most part, like that song uh, is the kind of song where you're like, okay, this seems like it's going to be a really cool idea, but then we have to see how the album starts to flow. Because if we have four songs that are Marissa playing essentially solo, they're not all going to make the record. You know, that's not going to be the best use of the space on the record. So I think that it's part little column A, little column B. It's column A being we just are, we just write songs that seem natural to us and then column b being like when it's time to actually trim and figure out what goes on the record we don't want to make sure there's some variety obviously we want to make sure that there's some of the elements that people have come to expect like some killer guitar solos or whatever and not just like trim all of that stuff away speaking of uh, guitar solos like do you ever just like sit there and be like holy shit marissa is just absolutely incredible on guitar <laughs> I mean, sure. I've mean, been doing it for years. Uh, it's. I think that uh, being in the process with her, I see how hard she works on it. So um, to me, it's not 
exactly the same magic, you know, that it is once you more just used see, to it. <laughs> well, it's not, it's not that I see, I see the process, you know what I mean? And I see how she, certain soul, certain souls she'll just have right from the beginning. She'll understand the kind of frame of it. And she might not play the same thing every time. Cause you just feel so comfortable in whatever we're playing, but then other solos, Mike and I'll be, be like, this is the spot in the song. You got a solo. And she's just like, damn it. That is a hard thing to solo over. I'm going to have to like work on this. And I'll see her like work through that stuff, even sometimes into the studio, um, sitting there and doing stuff like recording bits and bits and bits, and then kind of chopping them together. But then, then realizing, Oh, this is how the flow of this is going to go take that in and then replay it all. Um, so like really like uh, making sure that it feels natural and it is like, you know, a single take or something that feels, feels like a, a good a solid idea and not just a bunch of little pieces, but it came from this process that took a long time. It wasn't just her sitting down, you know, doing the solo first time through instantaneously. But then when we get out there and play live, I feel like that's the moments where it's just like stuff happens live that I don't know if we could ever recreate if we wanted to. You try to play it again and you're just like, I don't know, it just isn't the same as it was that moment. And <laughs> some of the stuff that she plays live on the spot sort of inspired uh, improvisational moments is definitely mind-blowing stuff. So I, I have to ask, I heard a story about how she had a professor at Rutgers, and I don't know if you were also in this class, who would make her play fish songs. And we're both... We're both fans. We're like 2000s pop punk kids, but like we also just love fish. So just like hearing that influence always makes me smile. Were you involved in the with the fish professor? So it was actually when her and Mike were in high school. Oh, um, wow. Because they're, they went to a private high school that had no music program at all. Um, and Mike and Marissa were both obviously interested in music. So I think it's really cool and interesting that they just had like an after school program that their math teacher ran which was just like, you know, music club is what they called it. But rather than most people's uh, experience of music in high school being like band or orchestra or choir or something, theirs was like getting together with their <laughs> hippie, <was> yeah, <laughs> their, their hippie math teacher and doing uh, fish covers and, uh, and act, but actually like playing music, music, like playing instruments, you know, and learning how to play and not just sitting there reading sheet music um, with your band director giving you the, you yeah. know, uh, so it's really it's really interesting. So neither of them came out fish fans for sure. <laughs> but if you guys are fish fans, you'll know that there's some overlap into other stuff. You know, the Velvet Underground, especially they did the yep. fish covered loaded and stuff like Ween, which mm -hmm. has like some jam aspects, but then some totally whacked out like punk and noise aspects going on and then stuff like pavement which like plays well with the jam band fans like malcolmus is definitely an incredible guitar player and it kind of has that slacker vibe to it that some of the the fish stuff has so there were they they managed to find some common ground there but out of the three of us surprisingly i was not in music club but i've been to far more fish shows than mike and marissa have <laughs> but not in a long long time uh, i think the last fish show i went to would have been the festival i the festival they did in maine right before they took their big hiatus so whatever that would have oh. been like 2000 <laughs> that was three two something like that yeah <laughs> that was that was a rough one <laughs> that was like an emotional the show. official last one yeah 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 
So, so sometime around then, I also went to a show. The first one I went to was at PNC uh, uh, Bank Arts 2013, Center. maybe that was that was my first show. Oh no, <laughs> no, this would have been this is earlier. so. This was oh yeah, that, so that was the that was the first show I went to. So that would have been ninety eight, I think. Oh damn, And I didn't know that's anything awesome. about the band before that show, and it ended up that that was like a classic show from that period. which I didn't know anything about. So I just like somebody brought me and I was like, what the hell is this? This is wild. So, Usually so I have how my it goes. time listening to some, some live uh, fish stuff, although I've not, I haven't checked in on them in, in many years. Although <laughs> actually during the pandemic, they had some of those live streams they were putting up of old shows. yeah, And getting I, I around think to I movies. checked out. Yeah. I think I checked out one, one of those. Oh, that's great. Yeah, because you, you guys definitely uh, like jam plenty. And you said yourself, like, live, it kind of just sometimes stuff comes out that isn't exactly on the record, which which is nice. And I, I was Yeah, also... I think that uh I think that like I the the crew of people I grew up with in my small town. I, I grew up between two different towns, but the town that I went to high school in in New Jersey in Pequannock, um, it was like a really small town and it's a town super focused on like the football team and like bang it's like out Yeah. of like a teenage movie. <laughs> Like it like yeah, seems Friday like Lights. <laughs> Yes, totally. You're like, how are like adults so invested in the high school football teams? Uh but um So there, there was like a small crew of freaks. So I, I feel like now via the internet and stuff, people can find like, you're like, I'm into punk and I'm a teenager. I can find other punks, you know? But at that time it was like, okay, you're a hippie, you're a punk, you're a goth, you're that guy who's all into the weird drugs that you like find on the internet and order from somewhere. I don't know how you find that stuff, but we're all a crew now. We hang out, you know? And I think that you you get some cross influence there that was that was really uh formative for me. So one of the things I came away from that was I would go see punk bands or indie rock bands and I would just be like, I can't believe that they play these songs the same way, in the same order, every night for years. I was like, that's Yeah. wild let's see something you know and then you find acts like uh neil young and crazy horse who are certainly not what anyone would think of as like a hippie band but they they jam like crazy you know and they would take sonic youth and pearl jam on tour so stuff like that started to have like a big influence on me it's like how
which is uh like the third or fourth track on our on our new album and it's got this really uh interesting uh feel and time signature thing that's like marissa started playing that guitar part and she sent it in a demo to us and it's it's a it's a feel and a time signature that i've only encountered a few times one of the most prominent being uh, manic depression by Jimi hendrix um and i was just like whoa that is so cool that is a really rare thing to do um but it's really hard. It's like playing the general groove, not so so hard, but it changes time signatures a few times. Keeping that all straight was like for the first, you know, months of trying to play that song, I would get lost in it constantly. And I was like, how am I ever going to like hone in on this and make this feel normal and not just sit there like counting, counting, counting. And the way we kind of got there eventually is, is that we started jamming on that one. And it was like, oh, this is what we have to do. We have to jam on this enough that it becomes sort of like second nature, the like vibe of what this um, part is so the song in the studio starts out with this kind of just like the riff and the drums just hitting like a, a kick drum and it's kind of hard to just instantly get into that feel so if i just like count like one two three four it's like me and marissa aren't super tight when we first hit it together so we discovered that if we like sort of just jam on that loop a little while and even if it stops, then we have the feel in our head and then we can kick into it properly. So um, so when we first played it for the first time ever live at Garden Party, we didn't do that because we did, had not organized this jam in any way and didn't know if we could really pull it off and didn't want to just completely be a bumbling mess in front of 800 people or whatever. But then when we're in Alaska and we're like, hey, we're playing for... 60 people in this art center on like a Monday, but yeah, let's give it a try. And then suddenly it started to really feel good. So we, we did it a few more times. So that's one that's been uh, a favorite for me recently is both internalizing the groove of that song, which is so unique. And then also being able to kind of explore that and figure out what we're going to be doing for the intro of that song, which has been sort of spontaneous. It's a, it's a great song. And it, it like, one of the the things I like about your music, or I notice what Marissa's playing, is how her her vocal pattern will kind of imitate the guitar sometimes. Which that's probably the only way I could play and sing if I had to do it. She doesn't exclusively do it, but and that that song is a great example of that like wavy, like flowing kind of vocal pattern. Yeah, for sure. And, I think it comes a lot from we we write a lot of our instrumentals first and then marissa layers the vocals on top of that um which causes a lot means that there's a lot going on because we'll write these kind of dense compositions and then it'll be like okay marissa now write a vocal on top of that <laughs> and sometimes that can be a struggle and uh on our album rose mountain we actually made a point of like pulling back from that so we'd write these compositions they'd be like all this complex crap that we were used to doing and then we'd be like okay now let's cut all that, that out of the way and just write some chords that fit so that you can then focus on doing vocal melodies. And I think that that exercise from that album has kind of um, reformed the way we might think about songs. So even though we don't make it as explicit now, we do in our songs now try to leave some room and be like, okay, wait, even though it doesn't feel completely full, we will remember that there will be vocals on top of this at some point. So maybe we don't need to fill it out completely. But the other way of dealing with it is, hey, maybe the vocals can sort of follow that guitar line that's already there. Yeah, she's she's awesome at it. And you guys are like so tight as a band. And 
like obviously drums and bass are always going to have their little thing going on but i feel like marissa's guitar playing is also kind of in the pocket with you guys and it just i don't know works works really well you got great grooves i love the the like spacey part in brass bell when it kind of drops out towards the end is something like that like this is just a songwriting question and i'm sure it's different for everything but do you have kind of like the meat and bones of that song and then think like a spacey part towards the end would be really cool or like how does something like that make its way into a song Well, that, that part in particular uh, was a very conscious decision to get that in there because um, as we were writing that song and listening back to some of our demos just from being at band practice and playing it back, it felt like such a – it had this big epic intro that we had started to add to it and, uh, you know, big guitar solo, kind of like these epic almost metal-like riffs. And then I was looking at the song. I was like, this song is two minutes and 45 seconds long. I was like, this song feels way more epic than a two-minute <laughs> song. 30 seconds of synth at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, you know, there was this decision to try to add more to it to kind of make the length and that's just like, it's not like we were trying to hit a minute mark, but like the idea that this song felt really epic. So it should like what we had of the song felt epic. So why don't we like uh, flesh it out in such a way that it becomes more epic. So that's why it has essentially two bridges, which most songs we would write. We wouldn't be like, let's put two bridges in here. And it was because we were like, okay, what's something that we can do to make this song feel more epic. It was like, we can have a part that um, kind of drops and it's almost like a halftime thing happens, which is that more spacey part that you're talking about. And then we have that other part where it does um, this kind of interplay where the bass and guitar play like back and forth instead of playing at the same time with each other. And then has a couple like quick changes one after another there. So we're like, okay, those are two really different parts that are different from the rest of the song. And that'll make this whole thing feel pretty epic. Um, but after it was like that's part the part you're mentioning specifically, we'd added it in the first bridge. We're like, okay, getting towards epic. But then we're like, but we need something else. It's like if we do add another bridge, it can't be just like sort of a rehash of the first one. What's something that can be completely different? It's like, well, the whole song has a lot of do 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 get 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 get. It's just like driving, driving, driving. Let's open it up. So that's like an obvious change to make in a general like um idea uh and then you have to figure out what that can be and that took a while there was a there was a while where we were like maybe we should just abandon this uh <laughs> extra epic bridge that is like a more open idea because we were not finding it and then we did eventually we did find it, it keeps you, you on your nailed it yeah <laughs> thank you it, it thank keeps you. you on your toes as a listener which i love and then when the solo punches in at the end yeah so good <laughs> We you mentioned the like the synth in that song. I know you worked with uh is it Matt um Matt Bayless Bayless? Bayless? Yeah. 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 Did did he just have like a ton of synths hanging around and you were playing with them? Because <laughs> I know he's in from Minus the Bear, right? And they yeah, they do a decent amount of synth stuff. Yeah, he actually played keyboards in Minus the Bear for years. Um he at some point he uh, wanted to dedicate more of his time to engineering and producing than being on the road. But those were always like, you know, his, 
his homies, those were his best friends. It wasn't like there was any animosity about him leaving. Um, but we, we'd worked with Matt on the previous two records as well, Rose Mountain and All at Once. And for those two records, we went to Seattle, which is where Matt is based out of. And we recorded in two different studios um, that were, we went to each of those studios for a specific reason to kind of uh, go along with the ideas that we had about making Rose Mountain and then the studio we went to to make all at once. And then when we decided that we wanted to work with Matt again for Desire Pathway, uh, we wanted to make sure we weren't just like repeating ourselves. And I don't think we are ever a band that is just inherently going to repeat ourselves, but we do like to... Um, give ourselves as much of a push to do something new as we can. So one of the easy ways to do that is not record at the same spot and try something new as far as where you're recording. So for that one, for this one, we asked Matt, is there a destination studio um, that you've always wanted to go to? And his first thought was Pachyderm, which is the studio I ended up working at. And it's a purposeful built studio out in the woods in the middle of nowhere uh, in Minnesota. It's like an hour, hour and a half outside Minneapolis. And there's been a bunch of epic records recorded there. Most famously, probably uh, In Utero was done there. Albini and Nirvana recorded that there. Um, so yeah, you just live out in the woods in this weird old mansion with a studio, like a five-minute walk into the woods from it. And we got to the studio. We went into the control room. We're getting stuff set up. And I look over, and in the corner of the room, there is just a pile of synthesize like rare synthesizers these modular synthesizers which is something that's come back into vogue over the last 10 or 15 years um and that's what synthesizers were initially like in the 60s and 70s and if you've ever seen all the synthesizers with all the wires patched all over them that's modular it's like they're not pre-built the the way all the signal flow is going to happen you have to like put them together and so in the 90s, it was the absolute lull of modular synthesizers. And it was just a few people who were just making them out of their garages still, basically. And one of those was this company called, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's either Weird or Wired. And they were out of uh, Milwaukee. And they just had a stack of original Wired synthesizers from Milwaukee sitting in the corner of this room. And I was just like, holy shit, I can't believe they have the, because they make like new versions of them, but these were the original ones. And I was like, I can't believe these are here. I got to set these up and I got to yeah. hear them. Yeah, uh, how do you not play with those? If they're just Yeah. <laughs> so they're really hard to work because, because it was such a weird format at the time, the the people who were making them were pretty like esoteric in the way they thought about how music should be made. So it's definitely something you could spend months, if not years exploring how to work them. But uh, I had a couple hours and I just patched them together and got some cool sounds going, got this um, sequencer running, asked Mike to help me. The sequencer was really weird because it was these little knobs you had to fiddle with to get the notes. And you just like, you breathed on the thing and it would go out of tune. So we were just like, we were like <laughs> tapping them to try to get them in tune with where we wanted them to be. Uh, so we ended up getting that intro for Brass Bell, which was kind of serendipitous because I had been imagining that intro for a really long time. Uh, and then I kind of, I have some synthesizers uh, that I thought about bringing and I was like, you know what? I don't know if I can fit all that stuff. It's not worth it. It's just an intro of one song. Who cares? We don't need it. Then we got there and I'm like, Oh, <laughs> this has been set in front of me. This intro is coming back. We're getting it done. Destiny. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
Jared, I know you said uh, you're a little pressed for time. Um, thank you so much for coming on. This was so much fun. Um, the new album is awesome. I can't wait to see you in Brooklyn. I'm going to make it happen. The travel cool. the 20 miles. Yeah. <laughs> Two hours. <laughs> yeah. I see the I see your uh, Iron Sheik poster back there. So yeah, you got to make it. Had to throw the vinyl up for this one. I don't have yours yeah. yet, but I've been looking at the record store. So it's cool. It's, cool. It's on my radar. And if you don't get it, by we'll definitely have it at the show. So okay. we can yeah, sell it to you personally if uh, if need be. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Thank you so much. This was great. Yeah, thanks we, for having me. We got to have you back on sometime. In fact, there's like so much I still want to ask you. So yeah, know, for we sure. We're going to get to talk awesome about now. Steve Albini, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll okay. get there. <laughs> Yeah, cool. thank you so much, and uh, good luck on tour, and we'll see you out there, hopefully. Yep, take it easy. All right, later. And we're back. Thank you to Jarrett. That was a lot of fun. Um, I think we're going to go to that show, so hell and yeah. hopefully get him back on at some point. Yeah, yeah, because... They did that song with garbage. We didn't get to talk about. Um, we didn't get to talk about like the Steve Albini stuff. Um, I don't know. There might have been more. I don't remember. It was like but, the first time we had like a bunch of topics we wanted to hit, and there was a large chunk we didn't hit, which yeah. is rare for us. But but we got to talk good about. Could have left us wanting more. Yeah, and we got to talk about fish for like ten minutes. So that was, was way more important yeah. than <laughs> than <laughs> any other, other topic. <laughs> those other dumb questions. <laughs> uh yeah what's going on on this on this back half um we had not like a whole lot of news this week um but we talked about at the beginning um lincoln park put out another song from the meteora sessions um what's the name i just had it up fighting myself fighting myself you're Um, fighting yourself to remember the name of the song yeah exactly (laughs) they uh I mean, it's a Linkin Park song. It, it's great. Um, it's cool to hear these B-sides. I think you know why this one is a B-side because it reminded me a lot of of Paper Cut. Like the guitar was very similar. The dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun was like, that was in the verses. Um, Brett, you said it reminded you of... Figure 09. Yes. At least the chorus did. Yeah. Yeah. And like, the verse cadence gave me like faint vibes which is cool though because this came out before meteora so but this is part of the meteora sessions right oh yeah that's right um i had hybrid theory in my head because i was thinking of paper cut so yeah that that makes perfect sense um yeah and i think when you're a band putting together an album like meteora had I don't know, 12 songs. I'm just guessing. I don't have it open. I think but... 12 or 13. But it was that was another one where it's like it yeah. just every single song was good. 13, because none was yeah. 13. But yeah, you like have to make some cuts. And if you have one song that sounds pretty similar to others, then like it's it's an obvious choice. But I'm excited just... we're getting these though. Yeah, exactly. Like R.I.P. Chester, one of one of the best probably like my favorite screamer of all time so any extra glimpse we can get into this like iconic time frame for the band is is just bonus so keep them coming 
before they changed gears a little bit because you know, like minutes to midnight was obviously a departure from this sound a little bit. Yeah, just it was gradual though because there Yeah. were songs like Bleed It Out like kind of fit in with that. I really like Minutes to Midnight. It was after that where they kind of lost me with, uh, I don't know. I Got don't a couple even remember weird ones because in there. they lost me. But like Living Things and The one where like there's like an eclipse on the album cover. The Hunting Party. What else was Hunting out Party here? is actually good. They had like a song with the guitarist from System of a Down on it. Oh, that's cool. That Did that one have like a ton of tracks? No, 12. I don't know. Was it be One More Light? No. These all have a normal amount of tracks. I feel like they put out an album with like a ton of tracks and it just kind of lost me. But The Hybrid Theory Deluxe. well, yeah, that one's like <laughs> like eight albums. Yeah, <laughs> so I think ridiculous. this this one might be just as long. <laughs> I'm I'm here for it. It'll Yeah. at least get one listen and then I need to remember this time to make a playlist to like pull the really good ones. We'll have to do that further when we talk. I think that's a couple weeks away. Nice. Like first Friday in April, I think. Oh, that's awesome. What a treat. April 7th. Yeah. Um, speaking of deluxe albums, we have another deluxe album coming. Um, Silverstein, we've talked about this album a bunch. Misery Made Me. It was one of our favorite releases from last year. They're doing a deluxe with uh, um, like five extra tracks. So they have this new one they just put out, Poison Pill. There's going to be one called Stitches. Um, Mary, or an orchestral version, which should be pretty cool. Um, Don't Wait Up Acoustic, Poison Pill Acoustic, and then two live songs, Bankrupt and It's Over. So... It's it's cool. I don't know. I it always feels weird and I know this is going to sound like I'm contradicting myself, but Linkin Park is not a full band anymore that's still making music. So hearing B-sides from them is different, but when you have a band like hyping up B-sides of a deluxe album, it's just like I don't know, how excited can I get for the songs that you didn't think were good enough to make the album? Or you did think they were good enough and you purposely held them so you could do this like release a year later. I don't know. It's just You're weird. reading my mind right now. <laughs> yeah. Deluxe albums have like always pissed me off probably more than they should. Just because like put it all out at once. If you have things like you're like teetering on, just release like a second disc of like bonus tracks and get it all at the same time and have it as one album. Because Yeah. now it, it gets messy when it's like, oh, we have the original album we released and we have the deluxe edition Yeah. and we have like a live version and it just gets like all over the place. And it's really frustrating. Like on Spotify, like you might end up clicking the wrong one. Not that it's like a big deal, but like just get it all at once. There's no need for deluxe albums unless it's like a big anniversary, like what
and they must they must really like it because they're also doing an acoustic version of the same song on the deluxe album which kind of interesting I'm not sure why they left it off, honestly. yeah i don't i don't know maybe our band's making music with vinyl in mind again and they want to keep make sure it's kept to one Maybe. could, could I don't be know. i mean they're all releasing vinyl and if You can put your whole album on vinyl except for one track, then odds are you're probably gonna just trim it. That's fair. And do Okay, a deluxe I didn't think about that. and do a deluxe a year later. Yeah, I don't know. I'm excited Just do to an hear EP. the Do excited an EP to hear instead the songs. of the deluxe. Yeah. We were I was talking about that with uh someone last week is how we don't get like bonus tracks anymore. Like the way I guess you you do, but not or not. Not bonus, hidden tracks. You know how like a song used to end and like 10 minutes would go by and then like what went wrong would come on or like Yeah. whatever. You don't really get that anymore with streaming. Cause it Also, skips right to the track. yeah, because it would, I mean, it would ruin a song for a playlist if there Yeah. was just 10 minutes of silence, but it's something you kind of miss. Like AFI had one right on Sing the Sorrow. Didn't they have a hidden track at the end? Yeah, yeah, it went for like six or seven minutes and then Um, I forget what it was, but even though I just listened to the album a bunch. Uh, did you hear? I mean, I know you heard it, but I'm just going to intro it this way anyway. Did you hear T Pain singing War Pigs? Yes, and I was completely blown away. Wow. Dude, wow. I want to hear like Ozzy's thoughts <laughs> on it because he nailed it. It's so good. like, I had a coworker at my my previous or two jobs ago now, but he was like, I guess like when the Mass Singer first came out, and I guess T Pain Yeah. won the first one. He was like telling me like T Pain is like low key like a really great singer, and you wouldn't expect it because like I guess obviously he has that like. that costume on for Yeah. the show. It's like no one knew who it was until the end. Yep. But like he is very talented. And Dude, I don't he think get I realized that. he gets a really bad rep. There was some show on Netflix that would like break down like eras of music or like times in music and one was like the auto-tune episode and it was pretty much all about him. And he heard like I want to say it was like a share song that that kind of spurred it unless that was later and it was a different song whatever. Um he heard this effect and he thought it sounded so cool and this and that and he spent like 5 years trying to find that effect. He would he would buy like go through libraries, he would scroll through countless files, different plugins. He devoted like 5 years to finding that effect and he finally found it thought it was like the coolest shit and then within like six months like usher comes out saying t-pain has ruined music like he went into like depression because of this like people hated him they he's like i didn't i love music like, i didn't want to ruin music i just it was a cool effect like I gotta watch I was, this. It's on Netflix. yeah yeah um it was one of those things you know netflix always does like so many episodes of stuff and it gets watered down but whatever this one episode was was really cool i'll, I'll try and find it because it was like a year or two ago i think but so interesting and like i really felt for the guy because one he's got actual singing chops which is even cooler Oh, yeah. and two like he just it was like finding a new instrument to him it wasn't about like cheating or like auto correcting your your pitch he just Thought it was cool.
And then everyone that he loved and respected told him that he ruined music. <laughs> like that sucks. That sucks. But I'm glad he's seems to be doing good now. And like, I didn't listen to this whole album. I just listened to war pigs, which is they're like playing it on octane and stuff. It's pretty awesome. That is awesome. I mean, yeah. the whole I listened. I did listen to the whole thing because it was only, it was only like a half hour, and like there's like some like R and B which like is like hit or miss for me. But like he's still like you can tell what a phenomenal singer he is, and I'm hoping yeah. like now he's getting like this late career revival, and he's gonna finally get like the credit he deserves, which would be nice. Like kind of like a nice happy ending after what obviously he went yeah. through like with Auto Tune. <laughs> yeah. yeah, poor guy. But yeah, War Pigs, T Pain, definitely, definitely check it out if you haven't. Um, I think that's gonna do it for this week. Uh what's what's going on next week? So I um, know we got New Boy Genius, which I'm very excited for because I love the three of them. Who who's in it again? Lucy Dacus, Phoebe Bridgers, and Julian Baker. Cool. Um yeah, I'm not sure what else is coming out, if anything, but... Um, I had something else written down, but I'm blanking right now. But we'll obviously talk about it on the next episode. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure we'll find it. And we got some more fun interviews coming up. Um, summer's right around the corner. Shows are right around the corner. Hopefully. Get excited. Yes. Right now, All it's right. just fish for me. Well, I mean, <laughs> screaming females, but... Yeah, I, I really hope you come. That'll be fun to have like a nice group of four. Yeah, so. it will be. Yeah. All right. Um, that's going to do it. Uh, another one in the books. We love you all. Thanks again, Jarrett, for coming on. And uh, yeah, see you next week. Damn it, boy. Thank you.